Welcome to For the Record, behind-the-scenes insider podcast with Colin McCall, where we take a forward-facing look at your environmental requirements and help you make your EHS program an indispensable and strategic part of your company's growth. Remember to sign up for our complimentary For the Record email newsletter. And now, here's your host, Colin McCall. All right, so like I mentioned at the end of the first episode, we're now going to circle back on what happens if the EPA administration changes. How would things then look? We've got Amy Marshall back here, so if you want to hear about her musical talents, you can listen to the first episode. I can assure you, you've got the right person here to be talking about some of these changes. And this one in particular is important because philosophically, things will change. So from the standpoint of an EHS manager or a member of the team, the different types of knowledge and things that we should be thinking about, they will shift a little bit if the administration changes. So there will be some things to adapt to, and it's nothing insurmountable. It's just things to plan for. So that's the focus of this episode is to look at that, look at what some of those things could mean. So with that, we're going to get right back into it. So, Amy, I'll just ask the first question. Joe Biden wins the election, taps new EPA leadership for his administration. Which pieces of the current administration's policies are the first to be reassessed and potentially reversed? Because we know that's something that always happens when an administration changes uh, and as the pendulum swings back and forth. So what are some of those areas? Well, first of all, I just want to say it will be very interesting to see who Joe Biden would tap as the head of the EPA. But to address your question, I think like we saw at the very beginning of the current administration, any final action completed during the second half of 2020 is immediately vulnerable as what's called a midnight rule. So anything signed but not yet published in the Federal Register is likely to be held up. Anything published in the Federal Register could be stayed for review or have its effective date extended. But I think in in particular, EPA has recently proposed to retain both the PM2.5 and the ozone, National Ambient Air Quality Standards. They're trying to finalize those rules by December or January. And I think the PM2.5 NACs in particular could be reviewed by a new administration just because it's it's questionable how to interpret some of the science that's out there and whether or not the current level of the annual NACs is protective or not. Um, EPA is also trying to finalize the project emissions accounting rule as soon as possible. There are some states that believe this approach allows facilities to circumvent BACT and NACs modeling and shouldn't be allowed. So a new administration may reconsider that rule. And then the Congressional Review Act is generally considered a nuclear option. Uh, but it could be used to revoke a rule that was passed after kind of the midpoint of May 2020. Um, the problem with this option is that if you use it to vacate a rule, you can't then pass a rule that's substantially the same in the future unless authorized by Congress via subsequent legislation. So I, I don't think the CRA would be used to revoke any kind of reform. I think they would use it on something that was brand new. As far as guidance goes, we've seen a lot of helpful guidance, but I think it could take more than the stroke of a pen to revoke any guidance that the new administration doesn't agree with. But I could see the 2017 Pruitt memo on projected actual emissions as one that's vulnerable. Got it. So with a continued focus on growth and things that might 
impact growth or at least how you plan for it. I'm going to hone in on the PM 2.5 next that you mentioned with the current administration looking to finalize that before the end of the calendar year. It was interesting to watch that PM 2.5 next process play out in that we had reports and recommendations from EPA staff about recommending a lower annual standard and numbers like eight and 10 micrograms per cubic meter were thrown out. So you've got, or were proposed as possibilities. So you had that going on. In the end, the administration opted to retain the current 12, but I would assume that the same folks on the EPA staff and on that were on the committees that were making some of the recommendations to tighten the standards will still be there regardless of where we are with the administration. So how do you see that playing out? Do you see those recommendations just coming right back to the surface and and how might they be able to do that even though it, you know 5 years wouldn't have gone by to review the NACs? Right. The document that you're referring to is the draft policy assessment that we saw last year. And like I mentioned, there's there are many different studies and what's important is to look at the quality of the studies and the number of kind of confounding factors. Of course, we don't walk around in our lifetime in a bubble only exposed to PM2.5 emissions. And so it's important to look at those studies through kind of the appropriate lens. So it's a scientific question partially, uh, but also a little bit of a, of a policy question sometimes. You know, if you lower the PM2.5 NACs to such a level um, that they're now, we have a lot of areas with no room between the background concentration and the NACs, you know, think about what kind of problems that now causes. So if a facility in a, that has a background concentration right now of seven, all of a sudden has doesn't have a NACs of 12, they have a NACs of eight, then it kind of prevents them from expanding. So I think in the beginning, the EPA staff were saying, oh, well, if I lower my NACs from 12 to 10 or 12 to eight, it doesn't force a lot of areas into non-attainment. But I think what they weren't thinking about is, okay, if I lower the NACs from 12 to 10 or 12 to eight, uh, there's now no longer any room for expansion because the average background was typically somewhere around seven. Yeah. So, and they'll still have to contend with those same things, new administration or not. So it'd be interesting to see how they, how that plays out, like how they end up reviewing that or considering that. So that's something we all have an eye on because we know that PM two and a half as a, as a pollutant is probably the biggest challenge or one of the biggest challenges when it comes to permitting and modeling and all those types of things. So, but going back to the new administration. So what, what should we expect? What new regulations, policies, areas of emphasis should we expect to see from a new EPA administration? Well, we have heard from the Biden-Harris team that they are going to focus on climate change and also environmental justice. So I would guess that the EPA administration will focus on those two things, plus kind of a renewed focus on enhanced compliance monitoring. So Biden has announced a climate plan to achieve net zero emissions by 2020. 50 and to improve resiliency. A lot of other companies and states have already announced such goals. Um, although if you 
read some of the utilities plans to get there. It's not quite certain how they're going to get there by 2050, but there have been several gas pipeline projects been canceled and there's increased interest in investing in renewables and battery storage. So we'll see if there's a change kind of within the uh, utility industry and even maybe the refining industry as far as what they're focusing on in the next few years. The current administration reversed a lot of the work the previous administration had done to enact greenhouse gas standards. So I think that we will see some requirements for CO2 and methane make their way back into the regulations. But we could also see some sort of federal legislation that provides more of a level playing field than the current growing state patchwork of requirements. I don't know if that would be in the form of a carbon tax or some kind of cap and trade program, but it may again, provide facilities more of a level playing field. With respect to environmental justice, I think that we will see something that formally incorporates EJ consideration into permitting and rulemaking activities. I think in the last few years, we've seen some increased interest in things on a local level. And this, the the next administration, if it's a Biden administration, could give that a little more legs. So I also think that we could see a resurgence of the former enhanced monitoring initiatives and more around fence line monitoring and community use of sensors. The refinery rule revisions that incorporated fence line monitoring were finalized during the Obama administration, and none of the MACT rule revisions finalized over the last few years incorporated any new fence line monitoring requirements. And that's actually drawn quite a bit of adverse comment from environmental groups. So I see that as something that could change as well. That makes sense. And actually, if we go back five or six years ago, prior to the current Trump administration, there was projects that involved grants going out to communities to set up monitoring networks and, and things like that. So you definitely saw that. And I think you could expect to see more of it. And the other thing I would say to check out relative to environmental justice, and we'll talk about it, I'm sure, on one of our episodes, but the New Jersey legislation that's out there right now around DJ expanding just how often that comes up for the types of facilities that it comes up and even the types of areas. So that adds a key step to the permitting process in New Jersey. So if you want to see something that might occur with on a more federal level, that that's one example of what might come up. Okay, so you mentioned changes, you mentioned monitoring, climate, environmental justice, different priorities that they've had from the standpoint of an administration turning over, when can folks expect for these changes to actually start having some kind of practical impact? What's the normal timeline when an administration turns over? Right. So I think we'll see at the very beginning kind of an indication on what direction the current administration wants to go, but the rulemaking process can be a long one. So nothing concrete is likely to happen overnight. And so any rule that EPA wants to change, they have to develop a basis. They have to uh, develop a proposed rule. They have to go out for comment. They have to address the comments and then they have to finalize the rule. So, you know, it could take two years to make that happen. But a change in the attitude of the administration towards certain things could result in increased scrutiny of a facility's operations by the community and maybe a more friendly ear at the agency to their concerns. So it could lead to you know, some investigation 
um, and some follow-up action or requirement or additional information or even a monitoring study by the facility. Makes sense. So from an environmental team's perspective, we talked about this in the first episode. What are some of the things that EHS managers and other folks in the environmental team can be doing to help their facilities plan ahead, given what the priorities of a continued Trump administration would be? I'll ask the same question. If the administration were to change, where all of a sudden does an environmental team need to bolster their knowledge, skill sets? What are those different areas from your perspective that you would be looking at? Yeah, I think it'll be really important to keep up to date on these regulatory and policy changes, um, engage with your industry associations, engage with your agency kind of outside involvement committee groups to hear what they're thinking about. But engage with your community proactively. If environmental justice is going to be an issue, sometimes other things get wrapped up into that. So just because you aren't in an environmental justice community, perhaps your community may have concerns that you should know about. Accelerate permitting projects that could be impacted by rollbacks of reform. So if you have something in the queue that you're working on now, I would suggest going ahead and getting that permit application in now before we see some of these policies and rules change. It's kind of a question as to is something I already permitted at risk if one of these reforms is rolled back. Um, I guess we've seen it both ways, but if you think about all the projects that we permitted under the previous pollution control project provisions that were have were struck several years ago, I don't think that any of those got rolled back. But I guess agencies have asked facilities to go back and look at things or maybe, you know, do modeling where you did project netting um, just to allay concerns of the community or environmental groups that you could have skipped a step there. I would look at whether there are ways to improve compliance certainty, to improve confidence in emissions. Uh, we mentioned PM two and a half. Um, there are challenges and could be an increased challenge with the difference between the level of the background and the level of the standard. Um, there are challenges in measuring PM2.5 emissions. So I think we could see some more investments on improving emission factors there and even emissions methods. And then I think it would be good for facilities to determine how climate-related requirements could impact their operations, even as far as reviewing your local utilities plans and thinking about how they can impact your energy prices in the future. So, Amy, walk me through the engagement with communities and being proactive around that, because that's something we talk about all the time. Sometimes it might fall off the radar because life gets busy and facilities are just cranking away with their everyday operations. But what are what's an, maybe an example or two generally about different ways that a facility has engaged with the community, you know, proactively, just to paint a little bit more of a picture for folks that are thinking ahead? So I can think of a good example. Several years ago, we helped one of our clients uh, permit some alternate compliance approaches. Um, and they wanted to do these alternate compliance approaches because they were going to save capital or in some cases operating costs. So they decided that 
as part of this alternate compliance approach, they would engage community stakeholders and say, okay, we're about to submit a permit application asking for this alternate approach. It's going to get an equivalent emissions reduction that would otherwise be required, but it's going to save us money. We will commit to um, doing some projects that you would like us to do either at our mill or within the community with some of that savings. And I thought that was a really cool way to engage the local folks and kind of listen to the kinds of things that they wanted. So maybe, you know, if if the pulp and paper mill log trucks coming into the mill are, you know, a concern to the community, you know, how can we address that? Maybe if the community has a project at a local park that they haven't been able to find funding for, maybe the facility could help with that. But I think overall, you know, any kind of engagement opportunity with your community makes them feel like they're being heard. And it also allows the facility to understand what types of things the community is concerned about. Maybe they can do some more education there. Yeah, those are nice stories and good ways to connect and connect the folks in with some of the stuff that that's going on at the facility. It's interesting to read about the impact that facilities have on communities that people don't necessarily think about. There's been some closures up in New England of some key facilities that represented a huge part of the tax base of, of the towns that they're in. So things like intramurals at school are having to be evaluated. And I don't, people don't make that connection with how important it is to have have these plants in these locations and, and the amount that they're able to fund just through normal operations. But then being able to connect with them even above and beyond that is always something to explore and, and evaluate further. So appreciate you sharing that. So I think what you heard was some of the things that a new administration would do, some of the areas to focus on that may be a little different. I don't think we went over anything that would be a bad idea regardless of the administration. But with a new administration, I think those would be some of the priorities and some of the resulting things that environmental teams would want to focus on. So with the next episode, we're going to focus more on engagement within some of those different groups and how all of the different stakeholders in a permitting process and things like that, how the stakeholders fit into the process and how some of those stakeholders might change given the administration. We should know a little bit more at that point about the direction that we're headed. So thanks for listening. You've been listening to For the Record Behind the Scenes Insider Podcast with Colin McCall. Remember to sign up for our complimentary For the Record email newsletter to get weekly news and articles on a variety of timely EHS issues. The content heard on this podcast is not intended to replace an evaluation of the specific projects and regulations that you are encountering at your company.